Let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are currently studying through the New Testament, chapter by chapter, book by book, verse by verse, making our way through the book of Hebrews. Finished up Hebrews 11 last week, and we're tearing into chapter 12 this week. And it's so helpful when you're going through the Word to be able to build on the previous set of verses and chapter and so forth and understand the meaning of the verses you're studying in light of the larger context. And we get that privilege going through a whole book at a time and so forth. So very much enjoying ourselves. Hebrews chapter 12, let's begin in verse 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that every word, every jot, every tittle, every chapter, every verse, every book, every part of your word is inspired by you. We know, Lord, that the Bible doesn't contain your word. It is your word. We're grateful, Lord, that it's so powerful to do all that it's called to do in our lives. I pray, Lord, for everyone here, myself included, that you give us an increasingly um, good appetite for your word. We pray that that appetite would increase. We're grateful, Lord, that you use your words, which are spirit in, their, in, in our life, to make us more like Christ. And so we, we know, Lord, you have lessons for us. We know you have encouragement for us. We know you have exhortation. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to have ears to hear what your spirit says to our church, that we would spiritually perceive and and understand and apply all these verses, Lord. If we were studying any other book, it would be pointless and and wouldn't be what, what it surely is as we get to enjoy it as your disciples. We thank you that you said, if we abide in your word, we're your disciples indeed. We want to be your disciples. So we just pray that you would be our teacher and help us, Lord, as we worship you in the study of your word. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The context here is these Jewish believers are contemplating forfeiting their relationship with the Lord and falling into apostasy. There's great persecution going on in the, in the church at this time. Uh, Rome is ramping up the persecution, and they're starting to pay a big price. As we've seen in the book, these Hebrew believers have already been persecuted before this point, but now it's really getting ramped up. And they're starting to experience great difficulty. And so because of that, they erroneously think that if they go back to Judaism and renounce Christ and go back under the law, that somehow things are going to get easier. And what this writer's been saying by the Spirit is anything but easier. (laughs) Uh, It's not going to be easier. It's going to be harder. 
In fact, he uses the word escape multiple times in the book. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He's going to use it again in, in coming verses. So it was more than just, okay, it won't go well for you or it won't go as good as it could. It, it, there's great, great danger. And so he's going out of his way, as we've seen, to show that what they have in Christ already is superior and better. That's been our key word throughout the whole book. Better than what they already had as uh, Jews in going under the law. And so he, we saw last week and the few weeks before that that here he is going through this hall of faith, giving them very solid, uh, clear, vivid examples of what it looks like to trust God and have faith in incredible hardship. Because that's what they're going through. They're going through hardship. They're going through persecution. And so he's saying this isn't nothing new, what God's requiring of you to trust him. It's happened all through your history. All through the history of God's people, I have required that they have faith in the context of incredible difficulty and persecution. And so it was a blessing for them, I'm sure, to, to see as we did all these these heroes of faith and what we call the hall of faith and took us three weeks to get through all of it. There's so many great examples of that. So now this week he's going to look at how all that links up with and connects to endurance and giving us the greatest example. And so he begins in verse one with introducing this imagery of a marathon. He says, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. All of us are in a race. I don't know if you knew that. You may look at my physique and go, I know you're not in a race. <laughs> I know you're not a marathon runner. Uh, but we, you know, we all have areas to improve related to our physical shape and so forth. But you're in a race. But it's a greater race than some physical marathon. It's a race that is a spiritual marathon. And it's a long race. That's very important for us to understand. You don't have to endure for short races. I don't know if you've ever done the 50-yard dash or ran a 440. I remember in junior high, they made us run the track. I guess I'm a little bitter still over that. But uh, we had to run three miles, and I thought they were torturing us. And, you know, what's CPS's number? And, uh, you know, they're, they're abusing us. Three miles? Are you kidding me? That's 12 times around. I barely have lived that long as a junior higher, you know. And so, but you run a short distance, you don't need a lot of endurance. You need speed. That's what you need. You need quickness. So the first thing we need to know about this race is that it's long. It wouldn't be long. Uh, we wouldn't need endurance, rather, if it weren't long. And so Paul, I believe, was an avid sports fan. He uses so many different pictures of sports in, in this New Testament. And the, 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 the Olympics were going on then. They had many different types of competitions. Corinth had a, one that was a little bit lesser in scope than the Olympics, but Corinth had one, and he was very familiar with, with those types of games and so forth. And so here he is uh, bringing up this great imagery of a marathon. And so our spiritual walk is really a race, something that we're really running. It's, it, we're, we walk in the sense of going after and living our lives for God, but really it's a race that we're running because our spiritual lives are difficult. It's, it's hard. 
It's difficult. Life is hard. There is a lot to have to endure in our lives. The world deals with things, and we have to deal with many of those same things in addition to going, doing a, a 180 in the stream, so to speak, and swimming upstream against the way this world operates. And then we have Satan attacking us and his demons and so forth that we're dealing with, and then we are fighting our own sinful nature. <laughs> you didn't realize you had that monster till you became a Christian, huh? That thing's pretty strong. Whoa! Wow! I didn't realize I had this monster inside of me that never is satisfied and wants more that contradicts God's word all the time. And so we have those same things. It's difficult. And what I love about this passage, these verses, is that God isn't glossing over it. He isn't minimizing it. He isn't making light of it. He knows it's hard. That helps us. That's encouraging, at least to me, that God knows that it's hard and, and, and isn't making light of it. He knows that it's very difficult. So it's very a, a difficult, hard, long marathon that we're running. But that kind of begs the question, uh, against whom are we running? I mean, are we competing against one another? Is this a, you know, we may compete for the agape feast food that we're about to share, you know, fighting elbows, you know, who's going to be first, first shall be last, bringing these verses in, trying to negotiate a better position and all of that. And me and Dave Miller are fighting for the, you know, the best, the best angle for the food and all. At least I can speak for myself. I can't speak for him really. Uh, I can, but I won't, because I'll pay for it later. So, uh, you know, we, 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 we have this competition many times in life, and we want to win. How many of us are very competitive? Very competitive. Ken just raised his hand, two hands back there. Do I see a third hand? Do I see? Okay. We're very competitive. But th- what's important to understand is that this is not a race that we're competing against one another. We are competing against uh, really ourselves. God has laid out this marathon for us, and we're, it's like as if we're in this marathon by ourselves. I mean, really, that's what happens when you run a marathon, not that I know from experience. I can't even barely drive that distance, let alone run. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, they wanted us to go on these walkathon things and raise money. I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's cars that go that distance. You know, I, I, don't, I don't need to be getting engaged in that. But you know, they're, they're, they're a long distance and they're, they're hard and they're, and they're difficult. And, and, and a lot of times when we're going on these races, we forget that we're by ourselves. Marathon runners are not really focusing on other people. I mean, they are competing against them, but they're so consumed with what they're in the middle of, they're really focusing on themselves in, in, in a lot of ways. And so there's this great long list of former marathon runners that we've seen in the last chapter. So often when you hear this passage taught, usually they refer to uh, the Hall of Faith and, the, and so forth, but not in the context of that they were running a race too. They were. He's continuing that. They were running a different race in the sense of the time in which they lived and so forth, but it was the same race. They still wanted to obey God and do what was right and honor God with, with trusting him and so forth. And so as we've seen, kind of the fuel for the race that those Old Testament saints ran was faith. They were fueled by faith. It's almost like, you know, any athlete. I used to do a little bit of cycling. You know, you're taking those goos and those, you know, energy things while you're, and you're always trying to stay ahead of your fatigue. You're trying to fuel your body ahead of time. And as you're going through the, 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 the race as well, you're taking stuff too. You're doing it before, you're doing it during, and you're even taking recovery products afterwards and and so here these old testament saints they were 
they were running and being nourished and being fueled by faith. Notice also in verse 1, he tells us to run this race in light of the previous runners. He says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now this, this verse has been misinterpreted. And what, how they misinterpret it is they take those, that little phrase, of course, divorcing it from the rest of the context. But they take that little verse and they say, those are the people that have died, loved ones that we know, and, and so forth. And they're, they're, they're kind of in this heavenly gallery, you know, and they're, they're looking down. You know, sometimes in um, uh, surgeries, they'll have a gallery where people, I don't know why they'd ever want to do this, but to get up there and watch and look down upon, you know, the surgery and so forth, that's just... To me, that's a little bit weird uh, for them to want to do that. But they kind of say that, well, our loved ones are looking down at us. And they use this verse to justify that. But the context is clearly referring to those in chapter 11. And and if you think about it, heaven really wouldn't be heaven if they had to look down at us, you know, and look down at this world. I mean, that wouldn't be very encouraging. That would ruin heaven. And and, and so that's, he's talking about these, these great Old Testament saints because these are not witnesses of us they're not watching us run this race they're not spectators in the stands watching us run this race they're witnesses to us they are they are demonstrating to us what it looks like to run that race well because they are they are sharing something they are testifying and what are they testifying i mean all witnesses testify right they have or else they wouldn't be witnesses they're testifying some something to us and as I said last week they're testifying that it's worth it that God's faithful that we can trust him they say all those things to us and so it's like as if the picture running a marathon and throughout throughout the whole 26 point whatever miles it is someone that loved you placed these little cardboard cutouts life-size cardboard cutouts of all these famous marathon runners that did well so that as you're running through this marathon, you're looking side to side and you're, you know, at times and you're, and you see these, these posters or these illustrations of what it looks like to be successful or a picture of success to encourage you, to help you see that it's important for you to do your best. That's kind of the idea behind this. They're not spectators. They're, they're witnesses to us, not of us there. And he says that the crowd is great. Notice in the verse, he says, such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, the word for cloud here, there's a couple different words in the Greek. One is for a little tiny cloud, you know, that look cute, those little pillow-looking clouds that are in the sky that are, we just wish we could just jump on and, and relax and so forth. Then there's the big, massive, huge expanse that basically covers the whole sky. That's the word that, that he uses here. It's, a, it's, it's vast, it's great, it's, it's huge, the writer saying to these recipients and to us, you don't just have a few examples. You have many, many examples there. And it's true for us. We don't have just a few examples. Who do we have? Well, we have these same Old Testament saints. We have all those that, that's just as much a part of our heritage as it was these Jewish believers. And we have the apostles. If you, from one sense, you know, that's a good thing, because especially from Acts chapter 2 on, that was, that was a good example for it. But before that, they're fighting, you know, who's the greatest and all of that. So it's, you know, one sense is very encouraging to us. Another sense it may not be, but I guess it'd be an example of how not to be uh, before they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
We have the early church. How many of those in the early church in the New Testament are encouraging to us that they walked a faithful walk and, 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 and God greatly used them and it was worth it? We, we see that as well. We have some of the early church fathers that were great examples. Not all of them, of course. Many of them were kind of off on some things, but many of them were really good examples for us. But all the believers the last 2,000 years, all the reformers, Martin Luther, Wycliffe, all these different men that God greatly used, that's a part of our heritage. That's what we need to see. It's a part of our heritage. I think of Pastor Chuck. He just had surgery a few weeks ago, and he's in the pulpit again this morning. And he's, he's, he's trying to finish well, 86, still preaching three times on Sunday morning, once on Sunday night, just going full steam ahead. That's part of our heritage. Anyone that God has used in your life, a leader, or just even someone that's, that's uh, been strategically used in a way that's very significant in your Christian growth, that's part of your heritage. That's part of a, 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 someone that's supposed to be a witness to you, telling you something about how you should run your race. So these witnesses ran their races well, and they won their races. That's important for us to see. They won. And that's the neat thing about when you're not competing against anybody else. God's definition of winning the race is ending the race or finishing the race. Some people run marathons. They don't care about the time. They don't care about what place they were in the race. All they care about is finishing. That's the, that's the picture for us. It's finishing. Haven't we seen all through this book that these Jewish believers were in danger of not finishing? That's what they were in danger of. It's continuing all the way through the book. So notice he says, therefore, and we also. That definitely communicates that we have this great stewardship, but it's not just for us to have in theory or, or not supposed to, you know, it's supposed to affect our lives in a practical way as we run this race. Too much is given, much is required. God knew that these Jewish believers needed examples, and he knew that we needed these amazing examples. And he didn't provide them for just any reason. Listen, their ministry was fulfilled in our lives by how it affects our lives today. Remember last week? In fact, let's turn back to verse 40 in chapter 11. Look, look there. Notice that last verse in chapter 11. He says, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. These Old Testament saints won their races, not competing against themselves, competing against them, I mean, not competing against one another, but themselves. And they won their races by having faith, but having that faith over and over again until they actually crossed the finish line. What does it matter if they didn't finish? It matters a lot. They needed to finish their race, they needed to endure. And that, their ministry is actually fulfilled by how it affects our lives. Their example being lived out or affecting our lives fulfills their ministry. If it doesn't affect us, then their ministry didn't reach its full potential as God intended. He, know, he knew that all those, especially that the still others that we saw last week, the ones that didn't receive anything at all, zero, their ministries and their life, their lives weren't in vain. God uses them and said to us, and is saying to us, finish the race. 
Even if you don't see the fulfillment, even if not, you don't get the thing that you think you should have or, or your expectations, finish well. God's worth it. His, his calling on our lives is worth it. He's going to tell us four things in our verses that are not optional to win the race. And again, I want to define winning the race as finishing the race. He's going to tell us four things that are not optional. The first thing is to lay aside every weight. The second is to lay aside every sin. The third is to run with endurance. And the last one is to keep our eyes on Jesus. And what's interesting is that it's not a matter of doing good versus doing better or whatever. It's like this is, this is everything. This is you won't finish the race. That's the warning here. There's a huge warning in this passage that people can leave out because it's not comfortable to, to think about. But he's saying you need to finish and finish well. And I'll give you all the grace needed to do that. So let's start with laying aside every weight. What is a weight? When you're running a marathon, not again, not that I know by experience, but um, you at least I know in theory. How many of you have ran a marathon? Let's see. Anyone here? One of us. Do I see two? No. One of us has ran a marathon. Half marathon. I'll give you some grace there. Half. Another hand. Okay. So, you, so I've talked to people that have done this whole thing called running a marathon. And they tell me that they don't try to see how much they can weigh, get away with weighing, and still finish the race. They try to shed as much as they can. They do all these, these creative things to weigh the least amount. I'm talking their diet, what they ate the night before, everything. They try to shed every single pound to give them the advantage. Can you imagine someone running up to start a race, let's say at the, you know, when they do the long distance running at the, at the, at the uh, Olympics and the racers all line up and they're all bending down and some guy runs up with suitcases on, holding suitcases or a backpack. That'd be foolish. And it's just as foolish and more detrimental, actually, for us spiritually to have unnecessary weight in our race. So what is a weight? What is, practically speaking, for our spiritual marathon, what, what is a weight? We know what sin is. We don't have any uh, misunderstanding there. But what is a weight? Weights are anything besides sin which hinder us from finishing the race. Not hinder us from running a little bit faster. Not hinder us from looking a little bit different than someone else that we're comparing ourselves to. Again, the, the, the whole thesis is finish. Finishing well is finishing and doing it in faith. So for us, it could be many different things. Usually it's referred to as, you know, our Christian liberties, things that we have freedom to do as Christians. But, but God says, no, that's not what I have for you, for your specific calling. It could be something that we just really enjoy doing. It could be playing Video games, or I'm just thinking off the top of my head, anything that we do that we have freedom to do, gardening, um, I could go down a whole long list, things that are good, things that we see other Christians doing. But for our specific calling and what he has us do, we can't do that. We're not free to do that. And you go, God, so-and-so's doing that, just like our, our children, you know, and we, when they want to do something that one of the neighborhood kids could do or someone in the church or whatever, and so-and-so gets to do that, and what do you say? You're not so-and-so, right? So we whine to God as well. 
but God, so-and-so can do that thing. I know, but they don't have your calling. Or that's not where they're at in their life at the moment. They, they, they need to focus on this first. I'm working in their life. Get your eyes off them and focus on your calling and what I have you in the middle of. And there's some principles related to how you know if something's a weight or not. I'd like us to turn to, uh, hold your place here, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There's a couple verses I want us to look at that will help us understand what a potential weight could be as the Spirit um, helps us in our race in this marathon. First Corinthians chapter 6, and I just want to read one verse. I want to read verse 12. Paul, writing by the Spirit, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That's a good principle for later to weights. All things are lawful. He's talking about, you could put in parentheses, all things are lawful, lawful which are not prohibited in the word, you know, the, the, all, obviously the things that are prohibited in the word, those aren't lawful for us. He's talking about things that are not explicitly forbidden for us. He's saying all things, I'm free to do those things in, gen, in a general sense, but not all, all, not all those things are helpful. And that's what he says in the verse. So you have to take those things before the Lord. Lord, is this helpful for me? Is this, what, is this helpful for the calling that you have on my life? Does this get in the way of what you're currently doing? You know, there might be a weight that you have at one time, you know, one month and the next month because of something's changed or whatever. He may direct you in a different way and that may not be a weight anymore. You know, we have to hear the Spirit for ourselves in that. And at the end of the verse, he says, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Do you know you can be brought into the power of Christian freedoms? You could be really interested in something and you like doing a certain hobby or you're into this or that or Facebook or whatever it is. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're brought under the power of it. God doesn't want us to be brought under the power of anything except his Holy Spirit. So we have to be very careful, even if it's just not even related to our specific calling that we have. But we're brought under the power of something. He doesn't, you know, I'm just talking to me too. <laughs> we're all in the same boat here. We, don't, we are not supposed to be brought under the power of anything. And for wondering, am I, am I bound to this thing or just stop doing it for a little while? You'll see. <laughs> It'll be, be really clear whether or not you're bound to that thing or not. So every Christian liberty needs to be brought through uh, that grid. And there's, there's another verse for that too. Turn over to chapter 10 in, verse, in uh, 1 Corinthians. Chapter 10 and verse 23, Paul writes again, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. He says it again. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. It's another one. So twice he says it has to be helpful to you. It can't be not unhelpful. But also he says, I can't be under the power of it. But then he says in this verse, at the end of the verse, he says, but it has to edify. What does edify I mean? We don't really use that word a lot. It means to build up. So not only are we not supposed to succumb to things or be exposed to things that tear us down, we're supposed to be engaged in things that build us up. And, and, and so sometimes there's freedoms that we have in Christ that, that uh, are not building us up, that compete with 
what he has us in the middle of, what he has us doing. And again, it might be different for someone else. We might look at someone with the same calling. They're at the same point in life, and they're in the same, they have the same thing that they're doing, and God doesn't speak to them about that particular thing as being a weight, but he speaks to us. We're supposed to mind our own business, focus on what he has us doing or not doing, because he may be dealing with other things in their life at the moment that's important, that are weights, that he hasn't, is not dealing with you about. And so that's very important to see. So these are really good principles because weights really can hinder someone from finishing a race. You're thinking, how can Christian liberties keep me from finishing my Christian walk? But he says it can. It's, it's something that's important. We need to take seriously. Again, our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. So he gets to make the call on our lives. 23 years ago when I received Christ, he made it clear to me what certain weights were that I needed to, to, to get out of my life. And then as I started to serve and, you know, he identified some more. And then over the 12 years between that time and the time I became an assistant pastor, he identified other things at different times. When I became an assistant pastor, he identified some other things. When I became a senior pastor, he identified some other things. And those things have changed multiple times since I became, a, a, you know, at this phase of, of, of the ministry. So I'm not saying that he's going to have a higher standard for me than you. I'm just saying that I've experienced it change and, and ebb and flow. And, and he, it makes a difference. It's important that we heed him, that we listen to him, to what he says, because he knows our callings. He knows what's best for us. And when he speaks to us and says, that's not for you, but God so-and-so gets to do it. I know, but you're not them. This, this is not for you. And we just keep having this argument with him. He's going to win the argument. <laughs> you know. And So maybe some of us have been told over and over again, we've shut that out. It's no small thing that you're doing and that I'm doing when we do that. Is huge. He knows what he's doing. He knows what's best for us. We need to heed his word. Next, he says, the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, first of all, we need to deal with one thing right away that will help us is that we have our focus so much on the devil and Satan all the time related to us sinning and being tempted. And here he says, it's under, it's under our responsibility. You know, there's no such thing in Scripture as the devil made me do it. There's no such thing. We want to be a victim to that. Here, Adam sinned, and he's twice removed himself when he says, it's the wife that you gave me. He's, he's, he's blamed Eve. He's blamed God just in one little sentence like that. We want to remove ourselves from any uh, guilt and, and blame everything on the devil. Far too much is blamed on the devil. Far too much. Far too much is blamed on spiritual warfare. Than, than, than is, is actually going on many times. I don't, I don't worry about what's the origin of this or that. I know the solution's the same. Whether it's a spiritual attack or whether it's my own flesh, the, the solution is going to God. To submit myself to Him. And He gives me that life. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify the lusts of the flesh. And that's what they are, lusts of the flesh. We're going to get into this in a few weeks, but in James chapter 1, verse 14, we get God's assessment of what sin really is and how it happens he says but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by the devil's desires and enticed no it doesn't say that it says he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed yes the enemy comes and tempts us i'm not minimizing that paul said i'm not ignorant of the enemy's devices so we're not we're not ignoring him but we have a sinful nature that's enticed we don't even need the enemy's help 
Most of what we battle is just in our sinful nature. And as a pastor, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you for my own life and for the life related to the lives of others, so much of that is self-infliction because what we're allowing into our minds. We're allowing a bunch of garbage in our lives and we're wondering why we have impure thoughts. <laughs> Hello, garbage in, garbage out. This is, you know, and it's hard because such a high premium is placed on entertainment and we just have to be entertained by all these things. And the Lord's been really dealing with me on a lot of the entertainment that I've been watching. And, 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 you know, he just keeps raising the bar, raising the bar, raising the bar. The closer you get to him, it seems like he has less tolerance for all these things. Psalm 101 says, I will not put any unclean thing before my eyes. Well, where would we go if we wanted to do that in this world? It's everywhere. But we can, that doesn't mean we don't stop trying and we don't stop trying to honor him with what goes into our mind and in our hearts. But as we, as we keep those things at bay, as we watch those things and be careful to have our homes be a refuge, he honors that. And he says it ensnares you. Again, we can't divorce this from the imagery of a marathon. Runners are careful about what, what goes around their feet and how they can stay you know, with the proper footing while they're running. I just keep picturing someone running and then someone just throwing some, something around their legs like you do in, with your children when they're little. You know, I guess that's just me and my deviousness, you know, pillows where they're trying to run and, you know, and, you know, and, you know, that's the picture that I see. It's just you're trying to run this race, but because of self-infliction, because of sin, you get snared up and you trip and you fall. How many people trip and fall repeatedly finish marathons? (laughs) Doesn't happen very often. He says it's important. Don't weight yourself down and free up your legs to be able to run because the sin will snag you. And it's our responsibility we, ha- we have to take ownership of it. We're not ultimately victims. We have the fruit of the Spirit coming through our lives, which produces self-control. We're not facing anything that other people don't face. Well, you know, my background, my, my upbringing, and all of that, there are people that have had way worse backgrounds than you, and God's grace isn't limited because of their background, and it isn't in yours any, uh, either. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you, except such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So what we go through isn't uncommon. Everybody deals with the same type that, you know, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all of those things, our sinful nature. We all deal with those things at different levels. But God always provides a way of escape. And we pretend in our minds that we don't see that, that little exit door, that little, that little opportunity to pray, to call a brother, sister, to get prayer, to go to our Bible, to ask our spouses for prayer, to uh, just cry out to God. We sense that opportunity. We think of it. The Spirit is very faithful to remind us of those things, and we just shut that out. We don't take the way of escape. Well, whose fault is that? The devil's? That's our fault. And so we had to take responsibility for that. He says it so easily ensnares us. We shouldn't toy with it. We shouldn't play with it. How close can I get to the line without going over that's not what, something you do when you get easily ensnared. You don't go up to quicksand. How close can I get? Well, maybe I can put a leg in, you know, and see how that works. So, you know, we don't play with fire. You don't see how close you can get to the world and still please God. You get as close as you can to the, to the Lord, and that's it. And who cares what the world thinks? That's what we do. That's what God's called us 
too. So it so easily requires us, uh, ensnares us. And then the next requirement is to finish our race uh, by running with endurance. And that's important. Sometimes we think, Whatever God has me has called me to, it, may, it has to make it has to be pretty doable or easy. He would never really cause me to have to sacrifice to to be in obedience to what He's called me to do. I, I want to, you know, in this culture especially, if we have so often this culture coddles convenience, and that can carry over into the church, where if it ha- if it fits nicely within my schedule and doesn't cost me too much then I'm willing to be a part of it. But if it really costs me so much and, or, or a significant part of my week or my day or whatever, then I don't want anything to do with it. And we don't see that in the New Testament. We don't see that in Jesus. You ever wonder why he could fall asleep in the middle of a storm? He was exhausted. He was up praying early in the morning, of course. He was a human like us, in part. He was tired, serving, serving, serving. There's one point where the disciples said about the disciples that they hadn't barely had any time to eat because they were so busy. And, and, and God gave them a break. And God wants us to have rest, of course. But what I'm saying is I have to be very careful to not arrange my life to where it requires no endurance. I believe that's what the, the Lord's telling us this morning. Don't arrange your life to where it doesn't require endurance. Ministry should always represent sacrifice. Look at the New Testament. Look at these people give their lives over. And it's not how much, uh, I mean, it's, it's like how much serving and giving my life away can I fit into my life and, be, and still be responsible. And I'm not talking about striving and just doing things arbitrarily and not spirit-directed, but we're afraid sometimes to give and to give and to sacrifice. And no one ever sacrifices for the Lord and, and, and is sorry for it later. And man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have given that much of whatever. God says, it's worth it. Be like me. Serve. Jesus said, I've given you an example when he washed their feet that you should do this for one another, to serve. That's that's God's heart. He's a servant. And so we can't be afraid of being worn out and doing something to where we're tired. God gives us the strength. We're told not to grow weary in well-doing, you know, but to to, to get that strength from him because there will be a time where we get that reward and God blesses us and it's a beautiful thing so run with endurance run in the face of difficulty like these Jewish believers facing difficulty saying have faith and trust God and endure when you've done all to stand what did Paul say stand therefore hold your ground that's a military phrase military <laughs> militaries fight over land they hold their ground we're, we're not we're not giving up this land right here so you have to hold your ground. That's what he's called us to do. Endure. Maybe that's an encouragement for someone very specifically today. I know it's encouragement for me. Now lastly, notice in verses 2 and 3, he gives us the perfect focal point. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and, sat, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. When you run a marathon, they tell you to have a focal point, to look ahead, look at the horizon or fix your eyes on someone that's running ahead of you. And that keeps you focused on where you're going. It keeps you free from hitting other people, to being distracted. 
Then these, these Old Testament saints about whom he spoke in chapter 11, they were focused. They were looking ahead to the promise of the Messiah. And, and they were faithful. And so what's interesting is that you don't see Jesus in chapter 11. You think, if I'm going to see anybody in chapter 11, it's going to be the Lord Jesus. I mean, what, pic, what better picture of a life of faith? But he saves it for this whole part in chapter 12. He says in chapter 11, those are, those are those people and they have a great testimony, but there's someone that needs a whole other chapter, a whole other place. He doesn't need anyone to be around or no one needs to be around him. He is the ultimate picture of finishing a race well and Jesus did on that cross he said it is finished he finished that was the finish line and he dropped his head and he gave up his spirit and he finished well and that's who we should be looking at when we're experiencing difficulty he's the one he's the model he's the one that's ran ahead of us he's ahead of us in the race so to speak we need to be focusing on him and looking at him That helps us to continue to be faithful in finishing the race. He says he's the author and finisher of our faith. He's been talking about faith a lot. He's the originator. That's another way that you could say it. You know, when you're a loan officer, you can originate a loan. You start the loan. You start it going. He's he's the author. He's the finisher. He's the one that began our faith. He's the one that drew us to him in the first place. He's the one that finishes our faith. In a way, that he's, he's gone before us, but he's also the coach. Telling us we can do it, and motivating us and encouraging us. And that's what he is to us in many ways. And he says that enduring that cross, it was, it was very difficult. He endured it. And the joy that was set before him, I believe, is, was us. Him knowing that he was doing that for us. And of course, his love for the Father. But he's doing that for us. He had, for his focal point, the Father and what he was accomplishing related to what he was accomplishing for us. That was his focal point in his race. And notice he says he despised the shame. He hated that shame. That was, a, that was, that was something that when you saw people on the cross, that was a very shameful thing. You wouldn't look down to anybody more than someone that was hanging from a cross. And he was there despising every bit of it. These Jewish believers are despising persecution. They hated it. He's saying there's someone else that hated something, and he endured it, and it was for your benefit, and you need to be faithful as well. And then he says, as he, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He, we went all through for multiple chapters, three different chapters, we went through how Jesus is our high priest. His current ministry right now is that of a high priest interceding for us at the right hand of God. There's rewards. There's the after. We think when we're in a marathon, a spiritual marathon, we think it's never going to end. It is going to end. There's going to be an end to it someday, and it's worth finishing well. He says, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners. He endured that as well. He not just endured the cross. He says the word endured twice in verses 2 and 3. He endured the cross, and he endured the hostility from sinners against himself. And he says, look at that, look at that, be your, let that be your focal point so that you don't become weary and discouraged in your souls. And maybe some of us here are discouraged today. The Lord wants to lift your head. He wants to encourage you. He is not requiring anything of you that he hasn't already gone through. He always leads by example. He said, no servant is greater than his master. 
So you're going to go through the same thing, but he's led by example. He's shown us how that's supposed to be uh, done in, a, in, a, in an appropriate way. And so he says, it's worth it. Don't become weary or discouraged in your souls. So what are the weights that God's identified? Maybe that's something that you can take in prayer, you know, go on a walk and, and pray and ask the Lord to show you, what weights do I have? Are there anything that's in my life that isn't pleasing to you? Yes, it's a Christian liberty. Yes, there's no verse against it. But the calling that you have on my life, I'm supposed to remove this by your grace. Sometimes he simplifies a life. We get so busy doing all these things. And before you know it, we can realize, you know, I'm doing a bunch of things that he never called me to do. Or he stopped calling me to do it a long time ago, and I'm still doing it because for many reasons, that some of which can, cannot be healthy. But what has he called us to do? And sometimes those weights can, can come in and, and, and distract us, and, and he knows the risk that's there. It's not just inconvenience and these lesser things. He's saying, what's at risk is that finish line. You need to finish. And this is getting in the way of you finishing at all, Period. Same with the sin, the where it's leading in your life. Maybe some of us have been toying with sin. I know we all fall short and we all sin. We confess our sins every day to the Lord. We all know we're in the same gene pool that way. We're all fallen. But there's such a thing as ongoing willful disobedience. If that's you, you're in danger. I'm warning you. You're in danger. You need to repent and turn around, take a U-turn, and by his grace and by his power, go to him and let him produce the holiness in you that he desires. Don't beat yourself up. I've been failing. I've been failing. Yes, you may have been failing, but God is greater than all of that. You need to see God for the big God that he is to take your life and make it into what he wants it to be. He can do it, and it's a lifelong battle. We need to endure, we need to uh, stand strong, stand our ground, and then we need to look at Jesus, see him. The greater that we view Jesus and how big he is and how great he is and how he went before us, the greater that we will depend upon him. Do you see it? It's not just looking at him. When you look at him and you see what he went through, you go to him. You depend upon him. You cry out to him. You call out to him. You say, I need you, Jesus. I need your power. I need your strength. What what your assessment is of my life matters. And I want to please you. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant at the end of my life from you. So I want to look to you. That's an encouragement to us. Very important for us to see. As I close, he wants us to be free of everything that's going to hinder everything that's going to keep us. And we need to seek him in every way so that he can be all that he wants to be through our lives. There's a lot at stake. I want to make sure that we hear the warning. There's a lot at stake. Missed opportunities, bad, being a bad witness, um, discrediting his name and our family. I mean, there's a lot at stake. People are watching our lives. It matters how we live our life. For sure, for our kids. We want them to live faithful lives. And godly lives. That we have to lead by example. And I, I exhort myself. Let's pray together.